Good morning, Grace. My name is Ryan, and we are down here in the Glebe neighborhood. And this morning's scripture comes to you from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Well, good morning. We're continuing our series on David and is called Shaped by God. And uh, these verses that we've just had read to us from Second Samuel chapter 6, uh, let me just start by saying that for so many, uh, we, we, we just don't like these verses, do we? I know there'd be many that would feel that way on, on reading this story about Uzzah. Uh, he's just trying to help the Ark of the Covenant along in this parade as it's finally going back to God's people after it had been stolen. And uh, he reaches out to prevent it from falling off the back of this cart, and God strikes him dead. So we just don't, we don't like it. It seems, it seems to confirm some things that for, uh, for many, kind of things that we suspect about God, Right? Things like, well, God's clearly cruel, or he's unfair, or God clearly does not want to be anywhere near his people. But what I want to do uh, this morning is, is take a look at those three statements that uh, many can easily come to when they read these verses, and actually uh, try to help us to humble ourselves and say, what are these verses actually saying about God? Is it true that he is cruel? Is it true that he's un? fair? Is it true that he doesn't want to be anywhere near us, clearly? Well, no, it's, it's not that clear. I think as we go through this, we're actually going to see that uh, God, he's not cruel. He's actually immeasurably kind. God's not unfair. He is actually perfectly just. And God does greatly desire to be among his people, even at great personal cost to himself. So let's go through this together, looking at those three lies that we can so easily believe. 
I mean, we so don't like these verses that some commentary writers have actually tried to write this story out of the Bible, essentially. Uh, one commentary that I was reading recently said that what actually happened, Uzzah didn't uh, reach out his hand and touch the ark and then, and then was struck dead by God. What actually happened is that Uzzah, I'm not making this up, Uzzah slipped on some ox poop and hit his head on a rock on the way down. That's what actually happened. And the Jewish writer of 2 Samuel was just trying to make sense of the events and kind of putting in some unnecessary spirituality there. Well, no, I don't believe that. We don't believe that as a church. I think anybody who takes this book seriously doesn't believe that. But we recognize, look, these are hard verses. This is a hard story when we first read this. Difficult to understand why God would do this. Well, let's take a look and see what this actually tells us about God. Let's start with this first Thing that we can so easily believe, that God is cruel. Well, we're emotionally driven people, aren't we? It's very hard for us to disconnect our emotions from reality, from, from facts, from the truth. Just this past week, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they lost Game 7, didn't they? The Montreal Canadiens are on in the, or on in the playoffs playing the Jets, and the Toronto Maple Leafs are golfing because they lost Game 7. Really tough loss for Leafs fans. I remember going online a few days ago and Leafs fans and some friends that I was texting with, you know, saying, oh, it's just, it's the worst being a Leafs fan. There's nothing worse than being a Leafs fan. The, wor- the Leafs, they're, they're just the worst team, just the worst team ever. It's a very emotional response, isn't it? Hey, I, I get it. I'm an Ottawa Senators fan. It's been, a, you know, quite a while since we've had a lot of success on the ice ourselves. But what is the truth about the Toronto Maple Leafs? I can't believe I'm actually going to say this, but the truth is they're actually a very good hockey team. They've got some very talented players, and the stats, the evidence backs that up. They're a very well-managed hockey team. And all of this led to them being the first-place team in the North Division this year. That's the truth. They're a very good hockey team. So what happened the other night? Well, they lost Game 7. They lost one game that meant the end of their season. Had they won that game then we probably would not have been hearing that big emotional response. Oh, they're the worst. It's just the worst being a Leafs fan. I know that might feel or sound a little bit like a trivial example, but you get the point. We're we're emotionally driven people. And I'm not saying that our emotions, uh, that we we shouldn't be, that your, your emotions are bad. And try to shut all your emotions down. That's what the Bible teaches. No, no, it, it actually doesn't teach that. But what it does teach is that everything in creation has been affected by sin, including our emotions. And that means that our emotions can often lead us away from the truth. So when we say things like, God is cruel, we're not saying that purely from an intellectual position or just in a cerebral way. Like we have come to this conclusion that God is cruel, completely apart from our emotions, completely apart from our experiences that drive our emotions. In my experience, anybody who makes that statement, even I myself at times in my life have said that. God, you're cruel. You're just being cruel. You're just being mean. Would you please stop? I'm not saying that because I've looked at the evidence. I'm saying it because I'm hurting. When others say that, it's because they're feeling pain. Perhaps they're feeling disappointment with God. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you feel, in light of the past year, in light of everything that COVID has messed up in your life, maybe it's not even COVID-related. COVID's just kind of piled it on top. But just this feeling of, God, you're cruel. Is it because you've looked at the evidence in Scripture of who God is, and even of His grace in your life? Or is it because there's a lot of pain and hurt and disappointment with God? 
If it's that, I want you to know that man, there's, a, there's a lot of space for you here. You're among good company because we're journeying in this together and I have felt this way myself. And it can be easy for us to read these verses from 2 Samuel chapter 6 and to have that emotional response as well. God clearly is cruel, but actually these verses show us that God is measurably kind. It's actually kindness that God was actually even among his people here in 2 Samuel chapter 6. That he was present among them. This holy God. This God who the people of Israel just flip-flop back and forth and back and forth in terms of their worship of God and their love of God. They're just all over the place. Maybe you're familiar with the story of uh, God's people in slavery in Egypt and uh, through Moses and, and these just amazing signs. They get freed from slavery. They're no longer slaves. They're, they're, they're free and they're on their journey to the promised land. And they're only, it seems like, only steps on that journey. And they look behind and they see the Egyptians who had been their captors pursuing them, trying to get them back, trying to make them slaves again. And what do they cry out? Oh, it'd be better that we had never left Egypt. It'd be better that we had never been set free because now we're going to die out here in the wilderness, completely forgetting what God had done for them in the dramatic and miraculous way and ways that God freed them from slavery. So quick to forget. Well, if we keep reading that story, we know that they don't become slaves again, that they're saved from the Egyptians who are, who are pursuing them. Then off in the desert, in the wilderness, what do they do? Moses goes for a walk up the mountain. Spends a walk, uh, walks up a mountain to go and spend time with God. And what do the people do while he's up there? They make a calf. They make a golden calf to worship. Because they don't, they don't know where Moses is. They don't know if he's going to come back. So they go from, oh God, we love you, we worship you, to, oh golden calf, we love you, we worship you. are the best golden calf ever. Just so fickle. Just back and forth and back and forth. Hey, what about your own Christian life? If you're watching this as a follower of Jesus, does any of this resonate with you? It sure does with me. Uh, there's no golden calves in my house that I've made from my wife's kind of melted jewelry. But I've certainly had other types of, types of golden calves in my life. Other idols. Some that I've made. Some that I've just chosen. Some that have been given to me. Some voluntarily on my part. Some that were kind of dangled in front of me and that I went for. This is also the story of my own Christian life. And I suspect for you that it's the story of yours as well, if you're a follower of Jesus. The fact that God was even present there among these people in 2 Samuel chapter 6 is immeasurable kindness. It's immeasurable grace. It's not pointing us to a, a false reality that God is cruel. No, far from it. God is kind that he's even there still. He would have been completely within his rights to say, you have chosen other gods so many times that I'm done. Just forget it, but God doesn't do that. He still chooses to be there among them. But then we might say, but it's not fair. Okay, maybe I'll concede that it's, it's kindness that, that, that God's still there, but it's still, it's not fair what happens to Uzzah because this, this guy, he's just trying to help out. It's not fair that God strikes him dead. Well, is that actually true that it's not fair? No, it actually is very fair what happens to Uzzah because God gave very fair warning about what would happen if anybody were to touch, anybody were to touch 
these holy items, including the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Why did there have to be these rules around these objects? Because God is a holy God. And if his presence was to be in and among these holy objects as a way of God being among his people, remember the Ark of the Covenant, what it held was the tablets that God's law was written on, the Word of God written on these tablets. And that's what's stored in the Ark of the Covenant. So it represents the Word of God among his people. What a wonderful pointer ahead to Jesus Christ, where the Word becomes flesh in Jesus, dwelt among us. But for these holy items, including the Ark of the Covenant, to be among God's people, there had to be rules governing how these items could be transported, how they could be handled. In Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, there are two things that I want to point out in this one verse. The first is the people that are mentioned who are allowed and, and, and qualified by grace, not because they're special in themselves, but because God appoints certain people to, to carry and to transport the ark. And the second thing is what would happen if anybody were to touch it. This is Numbers 4, verse 15. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these. But they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. That was written some four or five hundred years earlier than 2 Samuel. Uzzah was never supposed to be there in that parade, in that position. He, he would have been allowed to watch from afar, but he wasn't supposed to be beside the ark, helping it move along. He was never supposed to be there. So when he stretches out his hand, yes, with the best of intentions, but still breaking God's law. Pastor in New York, Tim Keller, says, we need to ask God to forgive us not only for the bad things that we do, but also for the reasons behind some of the good things that we do. Uzzah here, he was, his intentions were just to try to study it, but... He should have known, no, I, I'm not supposed to be doing this. It's supposed to be the priests who are here. It's supposed to be the priests that are overseeing and administering the transportation of this holy item, the Ark of the Covenant of God. He was never supposed to be there. So what happens to him is actually fair. Because God gave fair warning in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. They must not touch the holy things lest they die. So it's very fair what happens to Uzzah. And rather than crying out, it's not fair what happens to him, we should actually be amazed that it doesn't happen to everybody else standing around him. It's a measurable grace that God doesn't hand out that same judgment to everybody who's there, but only to Uzzah who touches the ark. The ark was never supposed to be in the back of that cart. That was a breaking of God's law, of God's command for how the ark was supposed to be transported. It was supposed to be transported on poles carried by the priests. And the poles, I mean, the reason is kind of obvious, is so there'd be a bit of distance from the ark. Why is it even in the back of an ox cart? Is it, let's go back to my Leafs example. Toronto fans rejoice. Imagine for a minute uh, that the Leafs do win the Stanley Cup, and my friend Johnny, who's in the church, imagine he has a beat-up old Honda Civic and it's rusting, and it's leaking oil, and smoke's coming out the back, and the trunk doesn't fully close. You know, you've got to slam it down a bunch of times. Hopefully it'll stick. And Johnny says, I'll go get the Stanley Cup and bring it to the parade in Toronto. Let me, let me throw it in the back of the car. 
What would we say? No, it's a Stanley Cup. You're not going to throw it in the back of your beat-up Civic. That's absurd. Well, if that's absurd for the Stanley Cup, how much more would it be for the Ark of the Covenant to be thrown into the back of an ox cart? It was never supposed to be transported that way. It should have been carried by the priest in a way that was exactly in line with how God said it was to be transported and carried by the very people that God said were qualified by grace to transport it. So what ends up happening is very fair because Uzzah and the people and David stepped outside of what God had said. So how is it that David responds to this? Well, we read that he's angry. We read that he's angry. And I read this for a long time as David was angry at God. But that's not actually what these verses say. And it's just as likely that that David was angry at himself. That he was angry at himself because he knew that he had broken God's command about how the ark was to be transported. And that David's disobedience, even though he knew better, cost Uzzah his life. So what does David do? He stops the parade, takes the ark, makes sure that it's placed in a house just along the route. And David goes away And he asks this question in verse 9, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? You know what he's asking? How can the presence of God be near me? Have you ever asked that in your own life? You, You know your sin. You know the ways that you've broken God's commands. How can this holy God possibly want to be near me? So David stops and he takes time and and just considers that. He says, God, is he even going to want to be near me again? Why did I do that? Such foolishness. And it cost this man his life. But then somebody comes to David and gives David the answer that he uh, is wanting to hear and hoping to hear in verse 12. And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom where the, ark that was, where the ark was staying and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. What does that say to David? No, God still does desire to be among his people. God still does desire to bring blessing to his people. What wonderful news, despite David's disobedience, despite the people of Israel transporting the ark, this, this holy item in a way that was completely out of line and disobedient to what God had said, still God desires to be near his people and to bring a blessing. Praise God. And that was true then and that's true in your life today and in my life today. We can so easily think, no, God, because of my sin, because of my shame, because of what I've done, God has abandoned me. Surely he's abandoned me. How can the presence of the Lord ever be near me? I'm so undeserving. Friend, Christian, rejoice. God still desires to be near you. God still desires to bless you. I don't mean prosperity gospel garbage blessing. God wants a big house for you and a fancy sports car. Who cares? Who cares about it? That stuff's all going to perish. doesn't matter. God wants a far greater blessing for you. The presence of his Holy Spirit in your life. God with you every day. God with you and you with God for all of eternity. Could there be a greater blessing than being with Jesus himself? 
and not just waiting for eternity for that, but knowing the power and the presence of Jesus in our life today. God with us, Emmanuel. God wants great blessing for you. I make no hesitation in saying that. We just so often define the blessing in a very materialistic and selfish way. (laughs) God wants a greater blessing for you than just stuff. The greatest blessing that he has for you is himself. He still desires to be near you. Praise God. And how is this possible? Well, it's possible uh, in the way that David reacts and through the way that David reacts. What David does is he repents. He goes back to where the ark is, and this time they transport the ark properly. This time the priests are involved. And what do they do? We read that they go six steps in verse 13. When those who bore the ark of the Lord, and we can read out of that, when those who were supposed to all along bore the ark of the Lord, when they had gone six steps, he, that's David, sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. How is it that the presence of God can be in our lives and can be near us every day? It's when we repent of our sins and we acknowledge a sacrifice made on our behalf. And all those years ago in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the sacrifice was an ox and a fattened animal. But for us, far greater sacrifice, the sacrifice that all of those older sacrifices all of those old sacrifices we're pointing ahead to is Jesus Christ, who is both priest and lamb, our great high priest and the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how it is possible for a perfect and holy God to be near his people when his people repent of their sin and acknowledge the sacrifice made on their behalf, the penalty for their sin, the penalty for your sin and for mine, placed on another, on an animal? No, on Jesus, on Jesus. Him taking the penalty that we deserved. In that case, Uzzah took the penalty that Uzzah deserved. And we deserve that same penalty. Friends, we do. I I really mean that. We really do. We deserve to be struck dead by God. You and I deserve nothing less, and it is by grace that that has not happened in our lives. But if you are in Christ, the penalty for your sin has been placed on Jesus on the cross. Our great high priest, the perfect Lamb of God, takes our sin, becomes our sin, And at that time on the cross is abandoned by God. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken, abandoned me? So that you and I would never have to cry that out. Oh, praise God. How should we respond to that? The same way David does. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. Hey, look, I know know we can be in, in in our worship, in our mannerisms, in many ways, a very reserved city. A very conservative city that way. I get it. I grew up Baptist. I get it. But at least in our hearts as we worship here in the next few minutes, we should be dancing before the Lord. I want to encourage you this morning, if you want to go beyond just dancing in your hearts and dance with your feet, hey, you can do it with the camera on during the Zoom call. You can do it with the camera off. But whatever it is, we have every reason to rejoice this morning. 
because Jesus, our great high priest and the perfect Lamb of God, has taken the penalty for our sin. So we never have to worry about being abandoned by God. Are you in Him? Do you know Him? Has Jesus, uh, do you recognize in your life that, that the only way for there to be remedy and uh, atoning for your sin is to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Or still have you, have you rejected that? And are you still accountable for the penalty of your sin? Does that still come to you if you were to meet God even right now? Well, it doesn't have to be like that. Even right now, you can surrender your life to Jesus and have every reason to rejoice knowing that his blood has covered your sin. It has covered your shame. It has covered your wrongdoing. And this God, his desire is to be very present in your life, very near in your life, so near that he would speak of himself as a father and you as a son or daughter that he loves perfectly. Let's rejoice as we worship together.